Hello and welcome to episode 36 of Alohomora for June 22nd, 2013. This is our live show. We've just watched Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. I'm Noah Freed. I'm Laura Riley. I'm Caleb Graves. And I'm Kat Miller. And guys, our fan guest this week is going to be all of you. So there are two ways you can get a hold of us. First, by phone. And note that this is not a free call, but people in the U.S., you should probably be okay. The number is 206-GO-ALBUS. 206-462-5287. And the second way to contact us is by logging on to Skype. And this is best for international listeners. You can shoot us a call at MN. If you don't get through the first time, keep trying. There's a lot of people trying to reach us at the moment. Okay, so... Um Obviously, like what Noah just said, and all of you guys have been following along, we just finished uh, watching The Prisoner of Azkaban, and we're going to talk a lot about that, but before we begin on that, we're going to talk about some of the comments on our discussion from last week, which was our book wrap-up of Prisoner of Azkaban. So this first comment comes from She Flew Like a Madman, and it says, I totally agree with that comment that Dumbledore brought Lupin in because he knew he could help Harry. With Lupin's family, family history, his specific expertise with dark creatures, he was always going to be the go-to guy for a year with Dementors. Since Lupin hasn't met Harry before, getting him to Hogwarts would be an ideal opportunity for them to bond, thus ensuring that Dumbledore has yet another man around who will be dedicated to protecting James's son. <laughs> okay. So. Pretty logical. Yeah, I don't think we... Did we, we talked about, obviously, the fact that he'd be... Um, teaching about dark creatures, but I don't, did we talk about the fact that that Dementors would be on the premise of the school? That that's why Dumbledore would want Lupin there? No, but that makes sense. I, I like this logic. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, this next comment comes from Cyan Girl, and it says regarding Silverpaw, which is the nickname we gave Pettigrew. I doubt Voldemort giving Pettigrew the silver hand affected his ability to transform. I just think he would have ended up with a silver paw, which would likely make the other rat, rats mistrust him. He'd also be more conspicuous, so it would, be kind, it would kind of lose the point for as far as Voldemort would be concerned. When Peter went to Albania in search of his master, he didn't have the silver hand yet, and thus he could complete his search as a rat. Uh, Laura, two points about that. One, it's not Cyan Girl, it's Saiyan Girl. If you had watched Dragon Ball Z <laughs> as a kid, you would know that. Anybody in the chat watch Dragon Ball Z? Alright, good. Let me know later when, when that <laughs> catches up with your, with your comments. But, yeah, uh, they're so, on a little bit of a delay. They are, they are. But to the, to the silver paw point, um, it's interesting that you think the, the rats would mistrust him because of the silver hand. I thought they might, they might come to worship him, saying girl, because he's, he's highly different and probably he's smarter than the other rats. Because he's the leader. He'd be the leader because he's a human on the inside and they, they just sort of gravitate to that or they, they'd see there's something about him. Or maybe they would mistrust him because of that, the silver paw. I, I don't know. So what was the correct pronunciation? Saiyan girl? It's, yeah, it's Saiyan girl because that's a reference to the, the fact that Goku is a Saiyan. He, he becomes a super Saiyan. All right. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, and uh, this next comment comes from Cassandra1447. Um, this was in response to me saying that maybe Voldemort would have been a good, like, a could have taken the teaching job 
And they, everyone disagreed and said, no, Voldemort has murdered and created horcruxes by this point. Would you want that type of person teaching your kids? I do not for one second think Voldemort would have been satisfied for the DADA post. He would have used it to build his influence, army, and to pursue his ultimate goals of pure-blood domination. He might have been more subtle on how he pursued his goals, but I don't think he would have stopped. He might have used his post to charm and influence the school's governors and ministry officials, maybe even arranged for an accident to befall Dumbledore and get himself appointed headmaster. Frankly, past the first murder, I believe Voldemort finding redemption is wishful thinking. Dumbledore absolutely made the right decision in refusing Voldemort to take a place at Hogwarts. Co-sign. Right. Yeah. That's legit. I completely agree with that. I take it back. I was, that. you know, I was glass half full. I thought, you know, everyone deserves a chance. But False. whatever. Yeah, Voldemort does not. He does not deserve a chance. Ain't nobody got time for that, so... Exactly. (laughs) I mean, Laura, you don't think there... You had thought that he was actually going to change his ways just through teaching, and it's probably true. He wanted to... I I thought... I mean, not totally, but I think because of how lost he was and how much he didn't have a family, I thought that there was a possibility that if he remained at Hogwarts forever and, like, had a purpose and a place and stuff, I think, you know, he could have possibly made a turnaround. I, I think there's a small part of him that really, really wanted to do it, not only to get followers, but because it was his dream to, yeah. to just be a teacher and do that, yeah. I mean, everyone in the chat is um, agreeing with the comments, so... Well, yeah. fine. Except it's one person solid. said that one person said that Voldemort would be a great teacher, but they don't know what they're talking I'm about. I'm not saying he'd be a great teacher. Like, there's <laughs> no evidence that would support him to be a great teacher. I think that he... Could possibly, possibly, just a little bit of a chance, have seen, made some kind of personal improvement when put in a good environment. Whatever. No, probably not. (laughs) Settled. Alright, well, last week, you guys, or last episode, you also talked about, as we usually do, the book covers from all the different versions, which I was personally really sad to miss, because it's my favorite part. Um... But a couple of comments that you guys sent in, one from Lily Rose on the forums talking about the French cover. Uh, She says, I am French and unoffended. I think the French covers were much more marketed towards children rather than reaching both audiences. I don't know many French adults who actually read the Harry Potter books. How dare they? Also, (laughs) I find the French translation very childish, especially with the names of houses and Hogwarts. So perhaps the cover fits better that way. Hmm. I mean, I always like the French covers, even though they are kind of childish, like they almost look like they're drawn in like crayon, sort of. And I yeah, that's oh. what I was saying without being like without hating on the French. Yeah, I don't think all, the French are always my least favorite. You be careful; it's a live show. Anybody, anybody from France in the chat? I'll survive. <laughs> I have nothing against the French personally. I just don't like the French covers. I mean, yeah. it makes sense. Ellen Dawn in the chat says that they missed you on the covers episode, Caleb. Oh, well, thank you. I'm back now. He was back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the next comment comes from Saying Girl on the forums, and it says, Regarding the Dutch cover, I believe I heard Kat say that it was Harry writing Buckbeak, but it's not. If you look closely, you'll actually see it's serious with his long, matted hair. He's also in gray, slightly torn prisoner outfit. They were really going for the, for the prisoner of Azkaban breaking free here. It would have been so amusing to see them adopt that as a nickname for Sirius, although it might only have been Snape doing that in Order of the Phoenix or something. Quote, oh look, it's the prisoner of Azkaban, a prisoner in his own house. Pity. 
All right, thanks for pointing that out. Obviously, that was one of the ones that we had a very bad photo on. So yeah, yeah. I went and tried to get a better, look at a uh, better version, and yeah, that's definitely right. Which is really interesting because I think if um, Sangirl wouldn't have pointed this out, I would have probably assumed it was Harry also because you don't really think twice about it. Yeah, it makes sense that it's serious since yeah. Hermione would be with Harry if it were Harry. Right. Um. Okay, the next comment comes from Allie Wood from the forums, and it says, I have to agree about the American covers. For me, they will always be the covers. Though as soon as possible, I'm picking up a complete set with the original British covers. I believe it was Laura who was saying that the American covers give too much of the book away, but I think that's one of the reasons I love them. There are all these little details thrown in that you have no idea about until you read the book. I find it genius that the artist was able to incorporate so many details in there, many of them hidden. Well, I mean, to me, I mean, I that's totally a valid opinion. Um, to me, it's just it's a bit overkill. It's kind of like how how many plot points can we stick in one cover uh, rather than just kind of picking something? Like I had said, Japan's was definitely my favorite just because it's a lot more subtle. And uh, we actually we didn't talk about the signature, the British signature editions, which also kind of just do one scene, but. I'm I'm definitely much more fan of subtlety than just throwing or one scene. Well, that's why I like the Hungarian covers so much because they're insane. They're awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um, and the last comment we have is Lupin thirteen on the forums, and it says the Iran the Iran one is definitely the most random with all the animals at the bottom, especially the tiger. Maybe in some weird way the tiger is meant to represent Crookshanks. He is an orange cat, and the tiger is a big orange cat. Though if that were the case, why they would make him a tiger is quite beyond me. I actually, when I had originally seen this cover, I did think of it, and then when we were discussing this on the show, I couldn't for the life of me remember what the, what conclusion I had drawn, so thank you for this person for remembering me for, for remembering it but that being said that's crazy that the tiger's supposed to represent crookshanks yeah wait wait the tiger is crookshanks well remember there was a tiger and we had no idea what the heck the tiger would possibly be that's ridiculous well it's like an orange cat what else comes close yeah i mean i think it's ridiculous that that's the comparison that i agree i don't think there's anything that else it could be it's, it's not the whopping willow it's no, not, no, it's, it's not probably, the Whomping Willow. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so is it time for the next phase of the discussion? Yeah. I believe yep. it is the main reason that we are here. Yeah. Why? Are, why are we here? Well, uh, because we yeah. just watched Prisoner of Azkaban, and we're going to talk about it, right? Yes. Yes, we are. Um, mm. Let, let me start this off by saying that Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, easily my favorite movie of all of them. Even after, even after Deathly Hallows and all the crazy special effects, um, everything. I just so, think the sense of narrative, it's just the best movie. So maybe we should do that right off the bat. Um, establish what team everyone's on. Of That's right. Where they stand overall, just real quick, on Prisoner of Azkaban. So, Noah's favorite. It's no, yeah, Noah loves it. Um... <clears throat> I'm team indifferent. I Ooh. I like it as an ad, mm. uh, as a standalone movie. Hate it as an adaptation. How's that? Okay. Yeah, I, 
I actually feel the same way as Kat. Um, Alfonso Cuaron is one of my favorite directors. Like, his films are absolutely stunning, but, yeah. which is why I think this movie is amazing as a film, but agreed, absolutely terrible as an adaptation. I feel slightly more harsher, harshly to, towards it just um, because I think visually, yeah, visually it's gorgeous with everything with the Whomping Willa Alfonso style and stuff, but in general, I just, as an adaptation, I hate it, I hate it, but I also don't particularly like it as a movie either. I think it looks pretty, but, um, you know, there's, there is a lot of redeeming things about it, but also Prisoner of Azkaban, a lot of people, it's their favorite book, and that's why they have so many feelings about this. Prisoner is not even close to my favorite book, so I don't have a lot of, you know, care that much about it. And we have a caller on the line. Caller, what's your name? Hello? Hi. Oh, wow. Uh, this is H.P. Uh, Allison. Hi, H.P. Allison. How are you? So, good. H- I should say, like, my H. name is Stephanie or Amanda or something, but, you know, I just wasn't that creative coming <laughs> up with my screen name. It's okay. What do you, what do you, uh, what do you want to say? What's your comment? You know, I was just trying to talk to and talk about how I did not like this movie at first, but it's grown on me. I think it's like appreciating, because Prisoner of Oscar is my favorite book, but it's appreciating the movie versus the book, like separating the two of them. It's very fair. So what was it that made you come to like the movie? You know, a lot of it actually is because of David Thewlis and Gary Oldman and just seeing like, they're, you know, they're really not in the movie for that many scenes overall, but it's just, like, they just really shaped it. Even though I hate the way that, uh, I don't like David Thewlis's, the Lupin means the, the mustache drives me crazy. Uh, it, took me a long, it took me a long time to get over that as well. <laughs> to get over what? I, David Thewlis and his mustache. No, I love him. Yeah, I love it too. But in... I love the the scene where, um, you know, it's really different from the books, but where Harry was telling Lupin that, oh, you know, the map lies because of Peter Pettigrew, you know, I saw Peter Pettigrew on it. And and I love Lupin's look. I was like, that's just not possible. That's, it's, it's a side that we don't see in the books. It's almost like we're seeing Lupin's perspective for just a second there that we never got to see in the book. That is true. And and I too am a am a huge fan of Gary Oldman and uh, David Lewis. I love them. Yeah. Amazing. And I, it's really for, you know, as much as we criticize um the director, you know, he had to make two two really important casting decisions here. Like um you know, these two characters are fan favorites and they're around for the for the majority of the rest of the series, um, they were pretty important decisions, and I think he did a great job with both of them. Agreed. That's why. That's why I'm not sure why people. That's why I love this movie particularly, is because those actors got their start right here. I mean, this. You know, it's but well, that's they're not awesome. true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they I mean, they as actors did not get their start with these movies. No, of course, but I mean as characters in the book, in the oh. series for the movie yeah, franchise. But they're awesome because they're awesome. That's not like the movie yeah. is doing. That's true. 
but that does something for me in ranking this movie as higher. But that's just I do I do agree um, with our caller that this movie has grown on me over the years um, a little bit because when I yeah. first saw it, I was a lot younger and I just hated it, like everything about it. Because it's the only movie I like remember like walking out of being like vehemently angry right, about exactly. how it went. The <laughs> and only I think, one in the whole series. And I think a lot of it has to do with just how different it is from the first two style wise. Like it's not even that it's necessarily a bad change, it's just that it's so different that it came shocking and it was like Hogwarts was so happy and everything and I was like everything's so dark and sad. But you know, it was kinda necessary, I guess, to make that change, but it's such a different that big change that it was definitely shocking when I first saw it. So we're definitely going to be taking your calls from here on out. So if you want to get a hold of us, again, the number is 206-GO-ALBUS. That's 206-462-5287 or on Skype at MN. Noah, it's all you, buddy. Is H.P. Allison still here? She is not. Oh, she said her name was actually something else? or I think she was joking. Oh. Yeah, because she, she's, I believe she's a main commenter. In the, we talk about her all the time. Always great in the forums. We do. Um, so just starting with a little bit of background information from Wikipedia. The film was released on 31st May 2004 in the United Kingdom and on 4th, and 4th of June in 2004 in North America as the first Harry Potter film released into IMAX theaters and to be using IMAX technology. It is also the last Harry Potter film to be released on VHS as well as the last film until... Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Oh, wait, sorry, that got somebody. Anyway, it was, the, it was rated PG, and then the, the two next movies were rated PG-13. And not until Half-Blood, Half-Blood Prince was there another PG rating, and you all remember that that was kind of a big deal because the movies are supposed to be getting darker. But for a while... And the inferior are the most terrifying things ever and are deserving of a much higher rating. That, right, so that, I mean, that's another, that's another conversation you get to. But, um... The film was nominated for two Academy Awards, uh, Original Music Score and Visual Effects, at the 77th Academy Awards. While Prisoner of Azkaban grossed a total of $796.6 million worldwide, its box office performance ranks as the lowest grossing in the series. Nonetheless, it currently stands as the 40th, it currently stands as the 40th highest grossing film of all time. So, so Caleb, I mean, you left, you left angry, and maybe possible other fans left angry because they didn't, this Go movie didn't perform... This movie yeah. didn't perform great. Uh, I think wise. almost every other film, like after that, I saw more than once in the theater. Um, but this, absolutely not. Yeah, I saw this movie twice, um, only because it happened to be playing at the drive-in the second time I saw it. But um, <laughs> exactly the same thing for me. But um, so yeah, funny. the other ones, I think by the end, like definitely Hallows Part Two, I think I saw eight times because I kept bringing different people with me. Girl, Jesus. that's a lot. That's so. Expensive. I am single-handedly keeping WB in business. So. <laughs> the but most the I, saw, I saw Deathly Hallows Part One the most, but um, yeah, for this, I think it's interesting that it's the lowest performing. Uh, I would think Sorcerer's Stone would be just with because it hadn't gained that traction yet, but um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know where it's going. I think I think it's also the fact that they had to thematically shift because the first and the second movies, in a way, are very similar in terms of their themes, their their structure, and their audience. And the third one, they were going for a little bit. It, it it just because it had darker material, they had to change it a bit, and that probably contributed, perhaps, yeah. to the downgrade. Yeah, that's very valid because I remember very distinctly when the trailer came out, um, and I was still in elementary school, but I remember it being you know significantly darker. 
And I think it, the trailers for the first two movies are very, like, whimsical and everything. But all the campaigns, if I remember correctly for this, were surrounding against Sirius Black of being this, like, mass murderer and being, like, crazy and the Dementors and everything. That right. I think, yeah, it's possible a lot of parents didn't take their kids. That, that's another thing. I wonder if that was an issue. I mean, there are several scenes, uh, even during the Bogart scene, like maybe that could have scared some fans or these kids away. And you had um, Hermione punching Draco, which we, we're going to get into later. But just like a lot of stuff in this movie that totally changed the uh, tone. The tone, yeah, absolutely. I think part of it is, too, is that the, um, the first two movies came out so long after the books had been out. When I say so long, a couple years. Prisoner, the movie came out almost um, a year after the book, and I think that that's, wait, my calendar has the wrong information. <laughs> Never mind. Scratch that. Continue, Noah. Well, I mean, it came out like when like the series was probably at a really high peak, so people were like very attached to the story at that point, so. Yeah. yeah. And, and maybe it also just speaks to the fact that the, the buzz of the fandom was kind of like in a sort of lull, because there was big push for the first movie and then the second movie, but at the third, maybe it just naturally there was less of a sensational thing, because it was like, okay, another Harry Potter movie. Right. People hadn't really caught on yet, necessarily. Exactly. I mean, it, it was huge, but I can easily see it toning going down a little bit. Because, so, I mean, it is, like you said, it's still the 40th highest-grossing highest film of all time, so even though we're, we're making it seem like it was a bomb, oh, not it still did pretty well for itself. It did pretty it's, good, yeah. It's completely an achievement. And we have a caller on the line. Caller. Ooh. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. What's your Hi. name? Hi. Um, I'm Ellen Dawn on the forums. Hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Thanks for Hi. calling. I'm from eastern Canada, the smallest province. Awesome. You have a question or a comment? Yeah. I was just listening to you guys talk about um, how you're comparing the book and the movies for the third book mm -hmm. and movie. And I was thinking about how um, I didn't personally come out of that movie um, angry because that was more of the way I felt in the first movie. Because for the first movie, when you see it, um, it's very close, but the adaptation, how they miss the troll at the end part, and, like, there's a couple things missing, obviously. And then I found that, like, slowly throughout the series, I started getting used to the fact that, obviously, they couldn't put everything in the books in. So by the time they got to the third movie, um, I was kind of okay with the fact that it wouldn't be exactly the same as the book, and I just kind of took it as a separate, like... A separate than the book and I enjoyed it. Yeah, you were able to separate the two. Exactly, yeah. So like as the series went further on and the books got bigger, it made it easier. So I liked the third movie. Good. Oh, one one in Noah's camp, finally. Well power yeah. to you because I I could not separate the two at least at first. <laughs> so <laughs> Unfortunately for me too, and, and you're all gonna hate this, but I, I think I might have watched the movie before reading the book. <laughs> I mean, oh that God, doesn't surprise that me. Before. How dare you? <laughs> and the entire fandom just confronts me. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. So, well, I guess that would impact the, you liking it, perhaps, then. Um, yeah. Because yeah. The, yeah, the main reasons for not liking this film are, is adaptation-wise. Right. Right. But yeah, movie three. Best movie. Thank you very much. <laughs> End discussion. No. So, should, we, should I move to the next bullet point? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So, as a matter of fact, Curon, who had directed these other 
Amazing Movies, Caleb is saying, uh, saying um, I happen to like Children of Men, really cool, and he's very notable for his um, camera angles and just the way of yes. telling the story. He was initially nervous about accepting the, the directorship as he had not read any of the books or seen the films when he was asked to, to do the film. But after reading the series, he changed his mind and signed on to direct, and he was immediately connected to the story. Um, so that... That probably goes to show. So even though he was, he did become a fan. He wasn't to start, so that could possibly explain the departure from the like straight adaptation. But nonetheless, J.K. Rowling approved of, of Huron because she saw his film *Itu Mama Tambien* and was impressed with this adaptation of *A Little Princess*. Heyman found that tonally and stylistically, Huron was the perfect fit for the movie. So there you go. David Heyman thought it was a good idea too, even if fans um, might may have departed. And the, the Wikipedia article goes on to show that his first exercise with the actors, um, Rupert, Emma, and Daniel, actually involved having them each write an audio autobiographical essay about their characters, written in the first person that talked about their entire life, just to sort of really get into that character or role. And when asked if he had done his essay, uh, Rupert Griggs said that he didn't. He said, <laughs> I'm Ron. Ron wouldn't do it, so... So I didn't do it, and and uh, <laughs> Huron said that was exactly right. So I <laughs> thought that yeah, was awesome. With that, and it was true to form with the other two too. Where like Daniel Radcliffe like did like two sentences, and then Emma did like a seven-page like <laughs> yeah novel. Also, it's not however you're saying his name though. It's <laughs> incorrect. It's not Huron. No, it's Claron. Claron. Oh, Noah clearly gosh. cannot roll his. R's. He cannot do accents. I mean, I can't really either roll my R's either, but I can at least get the. Yeah. Name right. Come on. Well, that's 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 kind of sexy. Yeah. You know, I met him at the the studio tour grand opening, and he spoke so eloquently about his yeah. time on Potter that it it just makes me love him more as a director. I've always been a fan of his anyway, but after yeah. speaking to him about it, I just I fell harder. That's great. Yeah, amazing. Children of Men is one of my favorite movies. Same. I have a big poster of it sitting up on my wall right now. Nice. Um, just uh, just briefly, and this is completely off-topic, this isn't even in the doc that we're working on, guys. I would like every single person in the chat to please spread the word about the podcast going on right now, live show. Just tweet about it, Facebook it, however you want to do it. If every single one of you do it, it's possible that more people will join us, and that could be that could be cool. We want to spread the word about the reread, so please, everybody, gather together. Just just do that if you and can. Use the, and use the hashtag that we talked about before, AlohomoraMN. Yes. But first, we have another caller on the line. Ooh. Welcome, caller. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Yeah. Hi. How are you guys? Good. How are good, you? Good. How are you? What's your name? I'm, I'm good. I'm, jeez, I'm like so nervous I forgot my name. <laughs> Don't well, be my, nervous. My name, my name on the thing is Erilon 9. <laughs> oh, very sorry. Hello, Erilon 9. You said something very funny during the discussion. I don't remember what it was, but it made me laugh out loud. <laughs> Oh, was it the one where I said there is no word for Hufflepuff and Dothraki? Yes, that was it. That was uh, that it. Was, you said that. <laughs> the four of us were on a call. Wait, that, they, deeply, call that deeply offended me. I oh, stop. It. Do you have a question or comment for us? Uh, yeah, well, basically I'm just, like, we're discussing the movie, right? And I figure I'd like to complain because I'm that way. Not I feel free. Way, we, we complain anyway. all the time. I just thought it was really weird that uh, Alfonso Cuaron had a lot of time for 
all these other things that I thought were pretty useless instead of doing like just maybe a little expo on the Marauders because I mean afterwards do we even hear about them in any other movie? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's um, probably the biggest criticism of the movie from fans is, you know, the explanation of the Marauders in particular. Um, like, you see that obviously there's a connection between James, Lupin, Sirius, and uh, and Pettigrew even to a degree, but there's no, never explicitly said, like, we made the Marauders map, we were all, like, four of us, like, in a gang, anything, the conflicts with Snape and everything. Um, nothing's very explicit, but at the same time, nothing's even very subtle. Like, it's hard to pick up on unless you're a fan. Yeah, that's definitely my biggest criticism as far as adaptation goes, is that that whole storyline just got completely cut out. And is never really addressed right. further on. Um, I know, also just quickly, I, before I forget, another, I saw someone comment during the chat, do they ever say throughout the whole movie... How serious, like, escaped from Azkaban? No. Nope. Just doesn't All matter. Right. Yeah, we mentioned it. That's uh, mentioned later in, in my notes. But there, there are tons and tons of places where the adaptation just kind of falls flat. But then, as we've been saying, the movie speaks to for itself as a different kind of... as a thing in, in and of itself. It's a cool thing. But before we get ahead of ourselves? Before we get ahead of ourselves, yes. Right. But I was I was kind of offended by the Death Rocky thing because I think a Hufflepuff can ride a horse too, you know. It just maybe not as it's a different kind of horse, like a maybe a unicorn or something. It was definitely a personal attack, so definitely take it personally. I am. Plus, Noah, you've read the you've read the books. The Death the riding horse is hardly all of what encompasses being a Death Rocky. So, well, Caleb, I don't know about that. The riding a horse is one of the Let's most important things. Right? Yeah. Okay. Continue, Noah, please. All right, well, now I want to get into the basic movie discussion. So it begins with Harry casting Lumos Maxima. Lumos Maxima, um, there's a slight change in the book because he has a, an actual flashlight there. But just at the very start, we get you kind of introduced to the way the movie is going to be because Harry gets upset and Aunt Marge blows away and the music is, the music is pounding. And it's kind, of, it's kind of funny at the same time, but it's also a sort of dark humor because we have this character blowing away. Anyway, I mean, it's 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 funny, not it's too dark. It's hilarious. I mean, it's funny that also just like right off the bat, like you can start the rage like right in the first second, which I saw the comments in the chat did, and that Harry being able to do the Lumos Maximo and like, you know, not setting off like all the trace thing and using magic outside of school. It's like right What's off the bat. What's up Damn with that? on. <laughs> Didn't read that. Is it funny uh, that I sure. never thought of it like that? Oh, I did. I think I, like, threw my hands up, like, at the very, like, that scene. I'm like, well, I'm done. I'm over it. So. <laughs> Might as well leave right now. How old was everyone when the movie came out? What well, year was it again? 2004. 2004. So I was 16. Uh, 22. Nine. I was 13. Oh you're sorry, you're so little. School, oh, wait, wait. I was 21 because it came out 10 days before my birthday. Wait, 21. What, what, month, what month did it come out in? It came out June 4th, 2004. Yeah. Oh, so I was 15. Wow. Oh, God. Yep. Guys make me feel old. <laughs> I was in college. Was it, was it a big event? Did you take all your college friends? Um, I was an art student, so a lot of my friends didn't do things like go to the movies. Um, 18 or something. How <laughs> dare they? 
But um, my mom took me. I went with my best friend. Um, so my best friend had lost her mother about two months before this movie came out. So this was um, a really emotional movie for her. So. Oh, shout out to Felicis Dawn, seventeen four fifteen. Harry doing Lumos under the covers was supposed to represent him becoming a teenager and experimenting experimenting with dot dot we're, dot. We're not, we're not going there. We're yeah, not. we're not reading that. We're not. I, I read that comment. <laughs> oh no, 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 that's all. I've, that's all I've done. All right. <laughs> Nothing more. <laughs> but. Uh, Ah. (laughs) Back to what I was saying, so much humor in this movie. Is it possible that this movie focuses too much on humor that it takes away from the story? Guys, what do you think? No, because that is is Half-Blood Prince's M.O. Yeah, no, I don't think this is particularly humorous. Like I was saying a few times during the chat, there was so many lines that I just totally didn't pick up on, because I guess I haven't seen this movie enough in comparison to the rest of the films. Like, um, Ron talking about his arm, his leg getting to oh, having to cut line. off, and, and then like um, Malfoy saying a buck you, you're like bloody chicken. Like <laughs> I thought these were really funny, but they're like really quick. Like they're just you know thrown in there. Half Blood Prince is where they focus on like way too much of the humor. But I mean the book is kind of that way too. But yeah. I mean this. I just I just felt that this movie was just full of just like awkward kind of funny scenes. Just from the very start. Um, so then, after Marge blows away, we Harry runs off and he goes out, and we get the night bus. And we have we're introduced to what's the name of that guy? I, I feel terrible now. The, Tom? Uh, no, oh, not Stan Tom. Stan Shunpike. Stan Shunpike, very clever yeah. character. I thought I think that entire scene is hilarious. But I know yeah. people have mixed opinions about um, that little talking head. Take it away. That, that guy. <laughs> Do you yeah, think- I mean, it was obviously, like, completely out of place for the book, but I still found it really hilarious. Yeah, I think I hated it when I first saw it just because of how, like, I was like, what is this? But from having rewatched it, like, I, I love it. Yeah, it doesn't bother me at all. I think they're hilarious. <laughs> love it. And then they show up later, like, in the hog's head. <laughs> yeah, I think it's yeah. awesome. Amaze Fest USA. <laughs> you like that? I, I thought it was. I thought it was really clever, and that's the thing I love about this movie is all these really weird details that aren't in the book, which I know it's kind of a problem, and it's it's all about what we're talking about. But it's that kind of stuff that's cool. And then another one of those is Tom the Innkeep, who kind of looks like this really weird Igor character, who's completely different from Igor, not Igor, completely Someone different from Tom. He, something happened to him because Tom in the first book is this like normal guy. There's a, there's a picture of it. But in this, he's like this weird. He's got a hump in his back. He's <laughs> yeah. creeping around. Like, I can't. I can't even do the laugh. Someone, <laughs> Caleb, you're better at that kind of thing. Oh, I, I like need to prep for that one. <laughs> um, but the what, funny, it's the funnier than the laugh though is when he gets called off. Like, and then he just like slowly like whips around <laughs> back to your corner, <laughs> yeah. to your corner where you belong. <laughs> He really just seems to do fudge, fudge's bidding. But are we are we expected to think that that character runs the the inn? Because I think to the movie viewer, they just think he's like this weird, creepy guy who the hangs henchman out. for the minister. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, Tom's clearly he had a rough two years. Something had to happen. It's he's not an important character, so who cares what he looks like? <laughs> I, I just thought he, he looked kind of funny. Yeah, that that is Quaron kind of changing a lot oh. of. Uh, that was Quaron. better. That was better, Noah. Uh, we have another caller on the line. <laughs> Hello. 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 Hi. What's your name? Where are you from? 
Um, I am Rose Lumos on the site and commenting now, but my name is Alyssa, and I live in Orlando, Florida. Rose Lumos, what's up? Home of the Wizarding World. That's yeah, you're, you're the oh. site of LeakyCon next year, too. Sorry? Said that's where LeakyCon is going to be next year, back in oh, Orlando. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's totally. exciting. Yeah. You have a question well, or comment for us? Um, I do. I, I really just don't like how directors, when they adapt stories, try to put in new things. Like, I feel like a director's job is to stay as close to the source material as possible because it is an adaption. It'd be one thing if they say it was based off the story. If you were going to take, um, I know they do these new kind of recent fairy tale things and take the old story of Beauty and the Beast and they make it new. That's one thing. But if you're taking the Harry Potter books, which are clearly successful, I don't see the reason of, I don't know, just adding new things for the sake of adding new things. Well, I I hear you, Rosenos. And by the way, you've got a huge audience in the in the chat. People who just uh, Hi, guys. Think, think you're awesome. Um, I think that a movie it has a different it has a different audience. It has to appeal to the large audience of fans, and I think it's okay for it to th to throw in some crazy stuff as long as it's true to the spirit of the book. Which I know is a very abstract term, but I feel so deeply that this movie was true to the spirit of of Harry Potter for me. Mm. I mean, See, you know, okay. I definitely agree with. I agree with Rose. I mean, I because it took me a long time to like get over like dis. I actually disliked Quadron after this movie was made, and like once like I got more into film, like appreciated his stuff later. That changed, but I agree with her, and or, or I guess my fifteen, sixteen year old self definitely agree with her because you're right, Rose. Yeah, but like because I don't know. It's like it's. I see what you're saying, Noah, but it's different with Harry Potter when you have like fans who are so avidly engaged in the in the books like it's different when they are attached that much to the source material yeah i mean i'm kind of i'm on the fence i hear both both of you guys because i'm not such a like purist where i need everything to be an exact like straight up adaptation um you know i think there's room for some leeway i think honestly the a lot of the stuff Heyman did bothered me more than because I think Quan didn't exactly change things. He just kind of left things out and then added like artistic things. We didn't drastically change much versus like Heyman, where it was like if you got burning down the Weasley house, which is of course like the biggest sin committed in the series, and then like the whole changes with the final battle and everything. Those struck me way more, and that got me way angrier than this. Like, I don't like this movie, but I don't, I think the changes were more artistic than, like, plot-wise, and, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. There there are other things that annoy me quite a bit more, so. Yeah. And there's stuff that's annoying in other movies that make them, that, like, little stuff that's added that doesn't help make it a better movie, like Dragon Balls in, um... Why do you keep bringing up Dragon Ball Z? I, it's just it's sort of in my head, but I'm thinking, do you know what the scene I'm talking about no. where with Snape and the Dragon Balls and Cormac throws up? Oh, and, and, okay. And, yeah, like, like that was a little addition that didn't really, wasn't really amazing for me. I, actually, thinking back, that was pretty funny. Never mind. Um, <laughs> next point. Okay, yeah, move on. Then we get to the Dementors. 
these are the these are the first introduction we have to to the dementors, and they're kind of like I like these dementors more than the five the movie five to seven ones where they kind of lose their cloaks, and I wanted to hear everybody's opinion on that because these were my I mean maybe it's because these are the first ones we're introduced to, but they're also the ones that I pictured in the books. Possibly well, I mean, they're, yeah, they're you know. they're described as being cloaked, um, and that their yeah. faces are hidden. So I agree. I prefer these dementors. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Mm-hmm. These seem much more evil. Really? They seem like they can, you know. Yeah. I'm yeah. trying to trying to get a visual. I I don't know the diff. I'm trying to figure out what the difference is. The I don't, I'm, trying, ones, I'm having trouble remembering. The later ones don't have. Um, hoods, if I remember right. correctly. They don't even have, I mean, they have cloaks, but they're more wrapped around the bodies. Yeah, I just remember, like, that that scene on the Hogwarts Express when they first yeah, showed right, up, I'm, and it, was, and it was like, completely everything I expected with a Dementor. Yeah. Wait, you said you do like that scene? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It was one of the better scenes. Um, I like the whole thing with the hand and everything. Yeah, yeah that, that is an intense it's scene. so creepy. That scene, like, you feel cold, like, as you watch it. It's, it's just so right? well done. There was someone in the chat saying that um, just by coincidence, the air conditioning came on in the theater when she saw <laughs> it as soon as the Dementor showed up on screen, and she freaked out. It's 40 yeah. films. <laughs> it's awesome. Do we, I mean, is that, is that scene another example of how this film was maybe too dark and it lost the kids, in a way? No. No. I don't, I don't think Kids can bad. watch Lord of the Rings, and the, the ring yeah. rates are way... I don't think it lost kids. I think parents, you know, underestimate, like, their kids. I think it lost parents taking their kids. Like, because that was very prominently featured in the trailer. Like, Mad Men, Murder, Sirius Black, and these creepy Dementor things with the hands. My, Because, I mean, that's how I got started with Harry Potter was I was seven, and my mom wouldn't let me see the first movie. She thought it'd be too, like, scary for me. So I read the book, and I was like, ha. But I think parents do that like i think overprotective ones wouldn't have wanted their kids to see it because of how it looks scary but yeah i think kids can handle it it's fine well um here's a little bit more from the wiki uh, article about coron he originally wanted to move away from the cgi toward puppetry in terms of special effects and especially for the dementors he hired a master he hired master underwater puppeteer Basil Twist to help using puppets to study the potential movement of the mentors. Once it became apparent that puppetry would be too expensive and unable to portray the specific elements of the mentors, Coron turned to CGI. However, he and his team did use footage of of Dementor puppets underwater as a basis of the flowing movements of the computer-generated Dementors. That's pretty cool. And I I, knew that. Um, That's not to keep saying that I've been there, but that's something I learned at the studio tour, actually, because they have... They have this backpack thing that looks like somebody was wearing, and the cloak would go around the person, and then the Dementor head sticks up or whatever. And that's yeah. um, what they used during those underwater scenes and stuff. So it's pretty cool. That's Can cool I thing. just say like how awesome the career title of Master Underwater Puppeteer sounds? Yeah, like, I want that job. pretty <laughs> rad. I agree. Yeah, that's something... I need a job. I can do that. But, but yeah, that makes sense because the cloak was all was all flowing and evil in that scene, and clearly that it makes sense because that's what it would look like underwater if you had uh, puppets. And there's so much. Uh, didn't he consult a magician for the Marauder's Map for this movie as well? Uh, 
Maybe? Uh, I don't know. No, that would have been worth why would that be necessary? Yeah, I'm not sure why he would have. I just thought I heard that somewhere. But isn't David Thewlis the perfect Professor Lupin? I think he, he was the best for that role, that character, because I'm, I'm going to that scene in my head. Um, I, th I think some, one of you was saying that you didn't like him for that role, yeah. or you didn't like his mustache. At the time, I was not sold. Um, like, when it first came out, yeah, I was not very sold on Thewlis as Lupin. Um, I, like, as the movies went on, I, he grew on me a lot. Um, but um, at the beginning, why I wasn't was about that? it. Um, it just didn't fit right for me. Like, he wasn't who I saw as Lupin in my head, and it just didn't connect with me. Because I can't really, like, put of, a finger on it. For me, it was kind of the opposite. I mean, he, I, I love him, but I think he does such a good job in this movie. And I think, now this isn't his fault as so much as the writing, but I think as the movies progress, his character doesn't, is kind of not as good. I don't know, like, I, I don't think they do a good job with him in films. And we have a caller on the line. Caller, what's your name? Where are you from? Um, me? Yeah, you. Okay, we're speaking at, um, I'm Luna Lovegood. I'm Looney Lovegood. Hi, Looney. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hello. Um, I had a question. If you could have Koran come back and direct any other film, which one would you choose? Ooh. That's a really good, good question. Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? Um, yeah, well, one, because it's my favorite book, and since Koran is probably my favorite of the directors um, on Potter, I would choose that. But also, I think that Order of the Phoenix has the dark undertones that Koran could really fly with. Yeah. He could have made that movie really great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, I think, all right, well, this is kind of, it's a difficult answer because I, I love the Goblet of Fire movie, and so that I, I don't want it changed, but at the same time, I think he, Alfonso could have done a good job with it, just because there, that's a very artistic-driven movie, or at least it could have been, because it's very visual with all the tasks and everything. I think of, like, the mermaids and all that. Um... I think he could have done a good job with it. But that being said, I love Goblet of Fire as it stands. I would just say all of them for me. Except oh. for the first two, because Christopher Columbus had to do those first two. And, but for everything else, David Yates didn't sell me really at all. I have a kind of issue with... I, you know, I could go back to those films, but they didn't. he didn't really speak to me as a director. But no, nah, he, he can direct the fourth one, too. I mean, I like David Yates. I have no problem with him. But yeah, as same. far as as far as overall favorite director of the one, two, three, four, um, it would be Alfonso for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for Yates, for me, is very like half and half. Like I I hate him more. I love him. Like have a uh, part one of movie uh, book seven is my favorite film of all of them like i think it's a beautiful film but like half blood prince is my least favorite so it's ditto he's responsible hey, for all of them so exactly <laughs> yep. wait no goblet of fires not yates yeah no i said it's mike noel oh okay i, saw, I, I said my, my favorite film is deadly all is part one yeah oh okay i gotcha yeah which is also a great movie when we get to that in five years <laughs> so 
another thing I want to think about in the movie is there are so many different cutscenes that are famously in this movie. We have the whomping willow squishing the bird. Um, you have Harry in his common room making animal noises with Neville and Ron. Um, kind of an interesting scene showing camaraderie between everyone. And, and there's another one where the Dementors are coming through and the flowers are freezing. It, it's really, there's so many. What, what were your guys' um, thoughts on those? Because I, I think that in a lot of the other movies, it tends to go straight through whatever Harry is experiencing, or you get occasional scenes from other characters. But I think this movie, more than the other ones, just had, it created a world so much more. And I think it's due to these cutscenes that might be artistic, but they also, there's also foreshadowing, because we get introduced to the Whomping Willow and what it does because of all those scenes, as opposed to somebody talking about, oh yeah, the Whomping Willow did this, it's uh, it's violent. Yeah. yeah I mean, so stuff like that. I'm That's fine. Good, good I'm, point. I'm I'm fine with the cutscenes. Um, I just wish that there were a few less of them. Um, yeah, or shorter even. Like I really like what they do with the Whomping Willow and the seasons changing. But like some, there's one scene I don't remember which season it is that it lasts like a fairly good amount of long amount of time. That seconds that could have been used being, by the way, we're the Marauders. Right. Um, and, and thank God, at least they cut out the one where the bird flies all the way down to Hagrid's hut and, like, all this crazy Oh, is that stuff. not in there? No. Oh, that's like, what I was talking about. Yeah, no, that's in the, uh, that's a deleted scene. Thank God. Oh, ABC Family, like, plays them with the deleted scenes. No, they do, time. and I love that they do that. Um, but Yeah, me too. I'm glad that they cut that out. <laughs> That bird would just fly everywhere, all over the castle, because Quran is just creating such a landscape. But it's. <laughs> I, I like to pretend that that's the bird Draco puts into the thing in movie six and is getting it back for like being such a pain in the ass in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> One comment from Gringotts713 on what we're talking about. I think the cuts were artsy and it was great, but did not fit with. Uh oh. It, uh, the, comment, the comment is gone. <laughs> See ya. But, oh, gotta read it faster than that, boy. It was a good comment. It was a good comment. Not for the rest of the series. Um, oh shoot, I lost it too. Whoops. Alright. Um, it didn't stand out, not in a bad way, way but, but just different, just from, different the from the rest. That's right. Thank you, Green Gods. We worked um, hard for that one. How many yeah. people does it take to read a comment? <laughs> that many Alohomora hosts. But yeah, so now I'm just going to jump to the, the Bogart scene with Lupin. Because this movie is full of so many iconic moments, so many cool things. And I thought that this scene, more than just like the others, kind of highlights the, the way that music is used in the movie mm-hmm. to um, kind of bring about a tone. So there was a lot of jazz and swing music in that scene. Hello? Oh, hello. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, Jules. Noah, finish your thought. I will finish my thought. That's fine. I don't mean to accost the, the listener. Um, so it kept switching between jazz and swing and some um, kind of more serious music to sh- sort of show the scene itself, which was you're going to be confronted with your fear and then you're going to make light of it. So it goes back and forth to this is scary, but here's the happy music. So I thought that just in terms of musical choice, that was kind of really perfect. And the whole way the scene was shot and you had uh, David Thewlis just like going back and forth, like he was getting really into it, the whole class was, and you can tell it really created this for me, this feeling of this is the best Defense Against the Dark Arts class, yeah. that which is a sentiment that Harry like keeps. So the music for sure, I love. I mean, I'm such a fan of like jazz, uh, like swing music, which is why I'm like never I'm gonna get over the fact that they 
for Half-Blood Prince recorded the Weasley Wizard Wheezy's jazz like big band song and then didn't use it. Yeah. It's fantastic. Bummer. But uh, I think that the jazz in this is really great, particularly at the end when um, Lupin and Harry are talking and it's just kind of like playing in the gramophone and it's kind of like, oh, remember the days when we did that Boggart thing and it was really fun and it's kind yeah. of subtly there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, Caller, now it's your turn. What's your name? Hi, where are you from? Sorry. It's okay. I'm Tweak Six off the forums. Um, I'm in England, but I grew up in the States, so that's probably why my accent might sound odd. Oh. Yeah, that's um, really, I was wondering that. That's really it's an interesting. interesting. Combination. Tweak where in the Six, States? what's up? Where in um, the States? I, was, I lived in Arizona and moved over here two years ago. Ready? How do you like it? Um, it's cold. Oh. <laughs> well, compared okay. to Arizona, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, quite the difference. Yeah. You have a question so, or comment for us? Yeah, so I'm just to like complain a little bit about my biggest pet peeve with this movie, which was the lack of uniforms. Mm, yeah, just, a lot of people say that. Muggle clothes. Yeah, they just stroll around in like Hermione's pink sweatshirt. And I don't <laughs> understand why. Actually, this is, uh, I'm going to go way back here. I don't know if anyone in the chat will remember these. There was this magazine called Disney Adventures. Anybody? Oh my god, <laughs> you're so little. <laughs> yeah. I used to get I used to have a subscription to Disney Adventures when I was really little and I remember when the Prisoner of Azkaban was coming out was when I had that subscription and I remember reading that they're like, No more uniforms anymore and like saying how they were gonna be all like American and with all their not American, but smuggle in their clothes and I remember being devastated like how could they ever do that just like take away the uniforms but I think it was alas. just they're trying to I don't want to say Americanize it but they're definitely trying to make it appeal to a broader audience um, by putting them in muggle clothes as opposed to you know their uniforms is what I think yeah I think that's what they were trying to do and my biggest issue was that it took away a lot of the idea of Hogwarts they're supposed to be in robes because they're wizards and everybody wears robes. Right, the magical aspect of it. Right, I understand. Yeah. I miss the hats, personally, the little <laughs> black pointy hats, but I mean, maybe that's just me. Yeah, I didn't miss the hats too much. Yeah, the hats would have been too much. No. I miss the hats. Thanks, Noah. Thanks, my man. <laughs> would have covered up all the ridiculous hairstyles. I mean, that's... Would that have really been a bad thing? Not even. Right, that's a good thing. <laughs> Alright, where, where are we? And uh, in that Bogart scene, there's a really creepy clown. Have you guys... What do you guys think of that clown? Uh, that creeped me out. It's terrifying. Absolutely. Oh, I, someone in the chat, they're like, Pavardi, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and and that, it together. And a bunch of people were talking about, too, that, ja um, that clown, Jack in the Box thing or whatever, was at the exhibition... Yeah, the traveling oh. exhibition. And nope, I would have walked out. It's nope. huge. Yeah, first off, it's huge. It's what, like, eight or nine feet tall. Humongous. And it's terrifying. It swings back and forth. It's nope, awful. not my life. Nope. <laughs> awful. <laughs> West, West Coast Rico says, I can't sleep, the clown will eat me. Oh, so. God, please stop. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, that, that seemed more of a fear than a, than a joke at a certain point. That clown. But what did you guys think of this movie in terms of its special effects now? You have Buckbeak 
how, how did you feel Buckbeak was designed? You have Lupin as a werewolf, Sirius uh, Animagus dog, and Peter Pettigrew, the Whomping Willow. I thought there was a lot of... All of, of it was great guy. except the werewolf. Yeah, agreed. It's right. inconsistent that everything's awesome. The were the Whomping one was a little over the top, um, but yeah, the werewolf's disaster. Buckbeak isn't 100% CGI, by the way. Right. Really? Really. There's... Isn't he in the studio tour, too? Not he... the studio tour, the... um. There, he's in both. He is at the studio tour and in the exhibition. Yeah. He gets around. Yeah, he he sure does get around. I think there's more than one of him. Ow, ow. <laughs> so, now I'd like to move us to a conversation about some of the, the key differences between the movie and the book. And just, if you have a thought during it, just kind of keep in mind which ones to you seem... You wish you were. You kind of wish they were brought in, or you think that it was okay that they were cut out. And if you think of anything else, let me know. Okay, I just want to throw something in there real quick. Um, sure. We are probably going to go a little bit past two o'clock, so everybody who's fearing there's only twenty minutes left, don't worry. And I just wanted to tell you all the number again. It's two o six four six two five two eight seven, or on Skype at Alohomora MN. The line, uh, the calls are just flooding in. So if you're not getting through, keep calling. I'm going to try and get to everybody. That's it. Thank you. So, obviously, we've already talked about um, the way that the movie opens with the magic is different. Um, Harry's using Lumos Maxima instead of the flashlight. And then you have the shrunken heads. There are, there's also a lot of tons of other interesting things, such as the frog choir singing. I think that's really cool. That, that Double Trouble song is actually from Shakespeare, Macbeth. Yep. Oh, we didn't talk about the, the fact that Flitwick changed in appearance pretty drastically in that that's song. That's true. He lost a lot of hair. It wasn't even, well, in this film, he isn't even Flitwick. He's called Choir Master or whatever yeah. in the credits. And then they just made him Flitwick again in, like, the next film. He's trying to youth himself up. He's getting dark hair. He's trying to flip for a lady. That's <laughs> exactly <laughs> what's going on. Who's the lady, McGonagall? No. You don't no, uh, no. Leave my girl alone. <laughs> um... So other other differences are the connection between Harry's parents and the Marauders map is only briefly mentioned. There's really nothing there. And same goes with the rest of the Marauders tale. It's really cut from the movie. Um, there's not too much about it. Maybe hints. Uh, just just at the end is really a whole big talk about the Marauders and what they were doing with uh, Sirius and Lupin in the Shrieking Shack. Um, the nicknames Mooney Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs are not hashed out or those are not brought to focus as the actual names of the Marauders. And most of Sirius Black's backstory is cut out, as well as no mention of the fact of how he got out of Azkaban. That's not mentioned at all. There's, uh, there's some other things, too. Um, well, also, um, a thing that I realized um, re uh, watching it this time around was, like, the... The whole Harry, like, trusting um, Sirius happens a lot faster in the movie than it does in the book. Like, there's a lot more explanation that goes on, uh, particularly from Lupin and Sirius in the books, that Harry really gets on their side and everything. You know, Harry is very quickly BFFs with Sirius in the movies. Yeah, I mean, I think that's because most of that chapter is... I mean, not most of it, but a lot of it is an internal dialogue with Harry and... How are they going to do that? You know? Yeah, I mean, I guess Pettigrew turning into a rat is pretty much enough. Yeah, I would think so. 
No, that's true. And just at a certain point with the movie, you have to you have to cut stuff just to make it believable to not only fans of the books but to other people too. So you don't want to go into too much backstory. Right. Um, the film also doesn't really go into the magical education too much as we saw in the first two movies where you have herbology and potions class. This movie really just focused on defense against the dark arts, if you think about it. Yeah, well, that's because Lupin is there and he's awesome. and Want to establish that. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. For care magical creatures, there's merely the one hippogriff seen there instead of all the hippogriffs in and the book. And whiny Malfoy. Yep. Yeah, so many, so many like classic Malfoy parts in this film where he just gets really whiny and then just ends up leaving or he gets hit with snowballs and then of course the legendary punch in the face by Hermione which inspired yes. many parents to either argue that or say yes this is great um, there was also a lot of con- uh, I remember just a lot of discussion back in the day about how that had something could be argued something about feminism in that do you think so? Do you, do you think there was, is there anything like that, or is she just upset and we shouldn't read into it too much? I think it was about time she stood up for something other than, yeah, you know, shoving her wisdom in her face. I think she's just frustrated at this point, and who wouldn't have done that? Yeah. I think also, um, is this really the first time we see Malfoy kind of being like a whiny little brat? Because in the first two, obviously he's awful, but he's much less like pathetic with the whining. He's much more like bully and threatening, and he bosses around Crab and Goyle, and he, you know, is threatening towards Harry, and he's got the whole Quidditch team thing. This is like when he starts to, you're like, wow, he's pathetic. Like, yeah, and then that his character is obviously evolving here too. Um, that which is another thing about this evolving. movie. There was well, really, well, yeah, evolving, but it's all it's all sort of a process. A lot of focus on individual characters in this movie more than in the other two movies, where it's all kind of about plot and what needs to happen. So this movie really set the stage for the others and where it was going to go, and writer uh, Steve Cloves and the next directors had to kind of keep that in mind where Quan was going to take this movie. Um, There wasn't much about the Fidelius charm in this book. That wasn't really, that wasn't explained. That's because it is a giant black hole of nobody understands. Like, that's why. It's even pretty confusing for us. Yeah, I mean, there's so many unanswered questions. Like, I can, I, I can understand why they left that out. And here is a really interesting comment from the chat that happened during the movie viewing from Spellefant. What if Sirius got bitten by um, Lupin when he was a werewolf when Sirius wasn't dog form? We haven't discussed that. That is a very good question. Would, would he transform? Is he somehow okay because he's an animagus? Um, I mean, it looks like they are kind of biting at each other. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, regardless of what the movie says, I think the question's more based, like, in what would happen canon-wise. Right. That's a really good question. I mean, it's hard because, like, first you have to answer the question, like, does does it count as a real dog? That's really tough. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think technically you would you would transform, but then didn't James, Peter, and Sirius hang out with Lupin all throughout that time? It was gonna it was gonna happen, right? At some point, someone was gonna bite some other person. So how did they manage to do it without becoming werewolves? All of them, or maybe they just all became a little bit more wolfish. 
I mean, my, I'm, I guess, like, my initial instinct is if he, get, if he gets bit as an animal, he's not going to become a werewolf. That's my instinct. But something has to happen. Yeah, I think something has to happen. I, I think it. I think maybe he would be, like, wounded in the same way if you had been bitten by just, like, an animal. But I think they do kind of make it clear that werewolves prey on humans. Yeah, you know what? I think it only works with the human. When you're an animagist, you turn into that, you're going to turn into an animal. And you can't, werewolves can't turn other animals into werewolves. That doesn't Well, that's sense. probably why Sirius transformed Fight Lupin, well, like, or control him. Because right. he was the only one that could well, do it. It would be safely. idiotic otherwise, too. So I think when you transform, you're safe from that. And I'm going to, my, my guess is if you get bit, it's not going to work. So we have a caller on the line, caller. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hi, this is a, um, I'm Alicia from Redding, California, and I just wanted to comment. I love the movie, but as far as my adaptation to the book, my expectations were kind of let down a little bit. How come? What, what let you down? I, I expected to see a lot more. Like There's a lot left out of the book that I was looking forward to see. At the moment, I can't really pick out a specific point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, yeah, that's a lot of them. Um, and, and, like, I think the biggest shock for me was, like, I knew there was a different Dumbledore, but, you know, just seeing um, the, um, the difference was just shocking. Mm. Yeah, yeah the, the Gambit topic, yet. we haven't even gotten there yet, have we? But it's probably Not really. I think this okay. becomes becomes more polarizing in the next movie. Yeah, it does. It's true. Uh, yeah, I mean, yes, it, that's true for Goblet, but um, that whole scene in particular where he's, like, talking while Harry's sleeping or pretending to sleep, it's kind of weird. Like, kind of cheesy. The, yeah, cheesy, but, but that's the way Dumbledore speaks for, like, the remainder of these films. Mm, that's true. I just don't like it when Gammon says it. See, <laughs> I'm Team Gambin. I like Same. Michael Gambin. Um... I, I've said this a million times before. I don't think Richard Harris could have hacked it. Yeah, I, I love Richard with Harris. With the exception of the scene in Goblet when he like attacks Harry after the Goblet of Fire scene, knocks him down, and yeah, just, like, like that is right. obviously like a big whatever. But other <laughs> so, than that, I'm so with you, Cat Team Gambin. Yeah. Okay, I'm not like viciously on one side or the other because I do agree, especially that that Harris wouldn't have been able. To really, like, do it. I mean, it's kind of unfair to say, because we didn't really get to see, but just of how gentle he is. But that being said, that doesn't make me like Gambin necessarily more. But I will say in the Half-Blood Prince, like, when he's doing the whole scene with um, drinking the potion, that was amazing work. And that was the only time, like, I really, I was like, okay, like, I'll get on Gambin's side. Like, that was fantastic. But that that was it. <laughs> yep, so... I'm still with the the Harris team, but this movie was really the first time that fans felt that because Richard Harris was gone, and they had to they had to make that switch. That was another component that went into the making of this film. But Gammon's not terrible. I don't mean to come off that way, but just not as they're not as Dumbledore ish for me personally. But that also comes with the way that the movies you know introduced us to Richard Harris first. Yeah, um, I think that's that's my thing is that. Harris is more the Dumbledore that I pictured, um, but Gammon didn't do a terrible job. No, I mean, good 
job. Wait, ha- okay, so everybody always says this, that Harris is, looks more like Dumbledore. Yeah. Like, how? They both have no. long beards and the silly hat and the robes. Like, Oh, no, I don't think looks have anything to do with it. I think they're pretty lucky that they got two people to look that similarly. Um, I think it's more his disposition. Like, yeah, Gambit he's just so much like more gentle and, and like wise sounding. But Dumbledore like, isn't like... always gentle and wise. Dumbledore's a jackass. Like he's not the coolest character, and that's I mean that's my biggest reason why I don't think Harris could have pulled it off. He doesn't have he doesn't have the balls that need that was needed in the later movies. They were they're really old though. He's really old. Yes, I know, but like, I just, I mean, I, mean I couldn't, I couldn't, I can't see it, that's all. Yeah. That's all. But that's what I'm saying, is even though I, I agree that Harris wouldn't have necessarily been able to do the rest of it, I just, that doesn't make me like Gambin. Well, my final, my final thought on the movie, or final discussion point, was the ending, which is a different ending from many other movies, and... It's kind of interesting because Harry just gets the firebolt and he gets really excited and all the boys run outside and then he just flies off and then you get just a picture of his head basically just like with the whole shadow coming back and he's super happy and then just goes to credits. Now, this is sort of different from uh, more Yatesian endings of the movies where they're kind of sentimental and you've got a sunset. And hey, I, I like your word Yatesian. Yatesian. I mean, that's nice. I appreciate that. Oh, thank that. you. <laughs> Um, yes, yes, so these Yatesian endings where Harry kind of walks off and talks about, it's good to have, what was that last line in book five that still they stare off into the sunset every time. I know, I know what Voldemort doesn't have. Something oh, worth something fighting worth for. Fighting for. <laughs> something worth fighting for. <laughs> and then just oh. kind of... Never realized how beautiful it is up here. Yeah, Yates, Yates always has a way of putting that last, like... Everything's going to change now, isn't it? Yeah, oh my god, right. there's one for all of them. Yeah. But in this one, it's just Harry, and he's going off, and I'm like, you know what? That's what I want. That's I like that. It's done. We're done with the movie. No sort of afterthought of, of ooh, it matches box flying away. It matches the ending of the book perfectly, because this is the last book that ends, hopefully. And this like, is the last movie that ends, hopefully, as well. But, like, why couldn't he just be flying off Buckbeak and, like, continue to fly off into the sunset and fade or whatever? Like, why did it have to do that, like, weird face <laughs> Thing. I like it. It's like it's interesting. I laughed I out loud in the theater. So did I. I was like, "What?" <laughs> I mean, he's happy. It's cool. Whatever. Like, I'm not a fan of it, but it could have ended a lot worse. But like, it could have easily just continued to flown off into the sunset, like the rest of the films do. It should have just ended with the Whomping Willow just doing some kind of weird shake. <laughs> <and> yeah. <laughs> How it actually should have ended is on the Hogwarts Express with the letter from Sirius because hello. That didn't happen. And that I think I gonna wave goodbye. is what bothers me. When they leave out the little things like that, like that's a sixty second scene. That's like an extra five hours of shooting. Yeah. Like how hard is it to put that in there? For reals. Just saying. Also I mean this it also changed, you know. Harry getting his fireball, like, oh, we didn't talk about that, like, the fact that the whole Quidditch World Cup, not World Cup, um, final, and all that, with Wood winning the cup and everything, like, I understand that would have slowed down the pace a lot, 
but it's sad that it's not yeah. Nah, that's okay. I don't okay. care about Quidditch in the movies. I was so emotional, though, when Quid- and when Wood got the cup. I don't care about Quidditch for the remainder of the series. Is you just I care about Wood. About Quidditch. Yes, oh, I man, just that's about Oliver Wood. I'm the opposite. I love yeah. Quidditch so much. Yeah, but Wood's not even in the movie, so that would have been awkward. Well, then they should have put him there. Meh, I don't care. He's an erroneous so, character. I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for that. Well, before yeah, we talk you about are. That. <laughs> You're going to get mail from me. Texting you right now that I hate hate you. Okay. Well, you're gonna see me in four days. So you can <laughs> slap me or trim me or something. I mean, don't. But you know. That's about all I have, guys. Awesome. Well, that was I, a I get... that was a good chat. I think. Yeah, it really was, and this has probably been the most active like audience chat we've had so far. Definitely more so than the first two movies. So you guys are awesome for keeping up so well with us and for all the phone calls thank you we know it's really nerve-wracking and it's hard to call but we thank you we love you yeah yes. thank you. wait wait i think we should give a round of applause to all our callers yeah okay yeah. that's for you guys what's up and for everybody who couldn't get through i'm really sorry i can only answer one call at a time but yeah there's still five more movies that we have to watch so Dear. it's okay next time promise all right, well, if you would like to be on the show, we are currently scheduling our guest host for the next book, Goblet of Fire. So get us your clips. To find out how you can be on the show, head over to our website, alohomora.mugglenet.com, or email us at alohomorapodcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review so we can read what you guys have to say. And don't forget to um, all of our ways that you can get in contact with us on Twitter at AlohomoraMN, Facebook.com slash Open the Dumbledore, and the phone number you've been calling all day. You can always leave voicemails on that. You know we play them on the show. So that number is 206-GO-ALBUS. And we also want to mention our store. You can get T-shirts from us, and we should be expanding another merchandise soon, but mostly it's those shirts, different host shirts with, with sayings on, on them. Um, I believe the link is alohomora.spreadshirt.com. That's right, guys? It sure is. Okay, so you should go there and check out the show. Shirts, and wear them, because they're, I mean, shirts are to be worn. I'm thinking that we need to make Team Gambin Teen Harris shirts, um, because it seems that's pretty polarizing. We could do that. Um, Or Mandrake Desk Pig shirts. Yeah, those are being worked on, so it's okay. All right. Chill, Noah. God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and also be sure to uh, check out our app. Um, It is available in the U.S. and U.K. for iPhone, iPad, Android, and Kindle. Um, $1.99 in the U.S. and £1.29p in the U.K. That has transcripts, bloopers, alternate endings, host vlogs, and more. And it's really important that you guys get it this week because we're going to be at LeakyCon next week in Portland, Oregon. And we're going to get lots of cool stuff there. Yeah, and our show, just for all of you that are going, and we'll hope that you'll come and see us, is Saturday, June 29th at 10 in the morning. We have some amazing special guests lined up and a really cool topic. Um, So we hope that you can make it. Yeah. Okay, so that wraps up our live show on Prisoner. And that wraps up Prisoner in completion. Next time we'll be talking about publics. It's finally over. So, I'm Laura Riley. I'm Noah Freed. (laughs) 
I'm Caleb Gerbs. And I'm Kat Miller. Thank you for listening to episode 36 of Alohomora. Open the Dumbledore.